Spoiler alert! Hello everyone and welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. I'm your host, Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, and today is Book Club. In case you missed the glaring spoiler alert, as with all our book clubs, there will be spoilers. We are doing And the Mountains Echoed by Khalid Hosseini. I know I would usually have my little info about Libro FM or Buy Me a Coffee here, but I'll add it all at the end. I know this episode has been delayed by a few weeks, so let's get right to it. All right, everyone, welcome to Book Club. Again, yay! We're doing And the Mountains Echoed by Khalid Hosseini, who writes absolutely beautifully. That's my thought on his books. I mean, it's just like, I don't even care what he's writing about. He just, it's just like so flowy and poetic and just, it's like, wow, I'm just floating in his words. And um, my first thoughts on And the Mountains Echoed was beautiful storytelling. It just, it was more of the story that was enchanting to me. And uh, that's my first thought. You guys, first thoughts? Uh, I liked it. Um, I I did think it was beautiful. I had a little hard time uh, connecting all the characters to to the appropriate, you know, place in history. I think I needed to draw it out at the beginning and then it would have made a little more sense to me. That and the other problem was I was trying to read it on my phone because Libby didn't have it as a Kindle book. And I get frustrated trying to read on a tiny screen, but that is not the author's fault. (laughs) Uh, My initial thought is that I really enjoyed it and I'm glad I read it. Um, I've had this book on my bookshelf for many years and had not opened it for whatever reason, but I really, I I loved it. I thought it was a very beautiful story and the writing was um, very well done. Now, have you guys read his previous two books, The Kite Runner and a thousand splendor songs. Neither of the books, even one of them. Okay, just just curious because this is my third Hosseini book, so I know what he writes about, and so it's kind of it's a really nice, I guess, evolution to see his story. Okay, all right, kite runner story, and that, and then you have thousand splendor sons, and now you have and the mountains echoed. I'm kind of like, ooh, I like this. You know, it's it's nice to see the progression of an author, but it's okay. Um, what do you guys think about the book? Want to talk about the book? The start of the book, the the first story. What do you think with the Dave and the and the child that had to be sacrificed and the guy crossing the sands? I mean, that's quite a fable. What are your thoughts on that? I just I was hooked after that fable. I was like, wow. That I was just kind of, I did the audio and I'm listening and I'm listening and I'm listening. I'm just kind of like, I'm a child mesmerized by his words. And I'm just like, oh, my mouth open. I'm just like listening, like, wow. It, it It's just beautiful when you can just be drawn in like that. What do you think? I loved it. I liked that it started like that. And I liked how um, then you learn later that his father, that was kind of, like his thing was to make stories and to tell stories to the children as an adult, but also it sounded like he told stories as a adolescent and like had developed these stories. And a little part of me wondered, like, was this a story that he had heard that got passed down or had he completely created this to help himself cope with what he knew he was doing? I did not realized when they set out on the journey in the desert, um, you know, the father and the two children that he was going to be giving up the daughter. I was like, once we like got there and we met the um, couple that um, the uncle worked for, I was like, oh, and that's when it like clicked for me. But I was like, oh, that's the story. That's why he told the story the night before. And I wondered how much of this was him picking out a story that he had heard as a child and using it to help himself, or if he just totally made it up as a way to cope, to help his kids make sense of what he was doing and why. I think he made it up personally, but I guess we don't know. I, yeah, I thought that story was so sad. 
it was heart it was heartbreaking and that the writer was uh the writing was so beautiful and that it made you really feel that I just thought the story was a great setup for the real story that was going to happen about losing your child and never seeing seeing your child again and um so I didn't realize until I was getting through the book I'm going oh this is like that story he told. Oh, wow. This is exactly that. And for me, I thought I, for whatever reason, I was taken out of the book in the sense of, I thought that was a story that Carlos Hosseini told us, like almost like it was a separate story. I'm going to tell you guys a story about this that happened in the village. And now let's start the book. There was a once upon a time, there was a man it took me a while to connect the two and be like, no, he is the storyteller also. And um, so a little bit of confusion there, but still it was nice. It was very uh, pleasant, powerful. You know, when you start making those inferences, you're like, whoa. What were your thoughts about that relationship between the uncle and then the wife and the owner? You know, the it's... What was it? Who who is it? It's Nabi, and uh, what's the Miss, Mr. Mr. Um, Wadadi? Wadadi? Yeah, yes. Suleiman, I think. I did not expect uh, his drawing book to be of Nabi. I, that had not been on my radar at all. And how sad too, you know, that, you know, he went his whole life and wasn't able to experience the love that, that he wanted to have. Neither of them really. Um, right. And you have the uncle there who, but at the end, yeah, he didn't experience the love, but it just, it was very bittersweet. I, I don't know how I feel about him. My heart still hurts because he's like, no, I will still stay with you. And I know, you know, like, okay, I know you're interested in me and I'm not interested in you, not that way, Mm -hmm. but I care about you as a friend and we'll make this work and we'll make this relationship work. It's so like enduring, but bittersweet. And it just like, really, that was the gut punch, like gut punch for me, that, that relationship and for him to leave the entire property to his, what was his role? Uh, a driver? I think, yeah, well, Cook, I think originally was what he was hired cook, to do. Right, Cook, right. But they were like companions by the end, you mm-hmm. know? I thought that relationship was very beautiful and spoke to the fact that like, you don't, they both cared, I think, deeply for each other. And you have to have some intimacy around just caring for somebody in the way that they were each caring for each other but mainly Anabi for Mr. Wadadi. But yeah, they didn't have a room. There was not a romantic connection there in the sense that they were both romantically you know, interested in one another. There was not that relationship, but it was still a very intimate, caring, like lifelong companion relationship. And I thought, I really thought it was very beautiful. You know, it really was. And and just again spoke to how you can you don't have to have that romantic piece to still have you know to be cherished and to have a relationship with somebody but yeah i do think it's sad that neither of them had maybe the romantic relationship that we we expect to have when we're young and <laughs> before we get old right like but i don't know if you asked them if they didn't feel fulfilled i don't know what they would say i think i think it's really the classic tale of unrequited love. That's what it is. Except Mr. Wadadi is, he was not in a romantic relationship, but he wanted a romantic relationship with him. But all he could provide was the friendship. So it is the classic tale of unrequited love. When you look at all the classic romance love triangles, straight, whatever, you know, you always have this, I love you, but you don't love me back, but I'll always be there for you because I love you so much. That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. And I don't think it was all duty that kept Nabi there. That I, I, I mean, maybe he said that, and I think he even talks about it, right? At one point in the 
his his part of the story, he says that um, at first it was duty, but then it was it was not. And he couldn't even put his finger on the moment when at which point it became not. And I don't even think it was like even like a sense of duty. I think he really did truly care about Mr. Wadadi. And yeah, he he wanted the best for him. What about Wadadi's wife? Let's talk about that. Lord. Because we have Nabi who really wanted her. He wanted the wife. And the way the story was progressing, I was really wondering where this was going. I'm kind of like, ooh, Nabi, wow. Are you really, are you guys going to have an affair? How, how is this going to go? Okay. You know, and I'm trying to extrapolate the story. I'm going, okay, you have an affair with her. Or if, if someone finds out about what's going to, what is it going to do to you? And what, what is it going to do to her? And I kept thinking that, she was as vested in him as he was in her, but she was not. And when that came up, it just completely like blew my mind going, whoa, really? Because she would talk to him and be like, oh my God, I don't have a relationship in my marriage and all these personal conversations. And yet there was nothing there. I just thought was, that was something. I just thought that was absolutely crazy. But anyway, I think there was something there. There was some kind of friendship there. She, it seemed like she had no friends in the world, right? You know, her family basically disowned her. Her husband could care less about whether or not she was there. She didn't have people to talk to. And so it sounds like for a while, at least, they really were kind of having, you know, intimate conversations and that he was supporting her in, in, in some way, even again, if not romantically, but. You know, that brings me, what you're saying brings me to the topic of whether you're reading a book or you're talking to someone and you're like, when two people are having intimate conversations, the societal cultural expectation is at some point They're going to be in a relationship, a sexual relationship, a romantic relationship. It's like, have they done it yet? You know, there's always, you know, it's like when you, you're like, oh, my friend's talking to this guy and they're just talking and they're just talking, you know, you know, they're talking, but you know, that's how we talk, right? I mean, we, we talk about people who are talking to other people, like, you know, that's going to go where that's going to go. Why do we do that culturally? And I'm wondering, I'm just really throwing it out there. Is this book a sort of a commentary, a very subtle commentary on how we view relationships as a black or white, yay or nay? Are you romantic? Are you sleeping with them? Or are you not having a relationship? Really begs the when Harry met Sally question, you know, do people can't be friends because the sex thing always gets in the way. Is that a subtle undercurrent that Carlos Hosseini wants, or am I just making this whole thing up and trying to create something out of it? I don't know. I, I think there were lots of different relationship models in the book, um, but there were there were times, you know, when there were strong friendships like Marcos and Thalia, who were kind of, you know, kind of siblings, not siblings. I think, yeah, I think there were a lot of like friendships without the need for intimacy in, in this book. And maybe that was not necessarily a commentary about romanticizing. I mean, it does maybe that wasn't his point. I mean, I guess it could still kind of reflect upon that, but maybe his point was more that there's more that binds us in some of these relationships than just a a romantic or b a like familial blood bond and uh, maybe that maybe that was his point because there you know you have the story of talia which is like you know she's abandoned not because her mother like couldn't care for her but her mother like just didn't want to care for her maybe wasn't equipped emotionally maybe i don't know what the deal was there but and then, and she's taken in by Marcos and his mother. And then you have, of course, the whole story about the little girl and being um, Paris and being adopted because her family was so poor, they couldn't afford to have her. And rather than see her die, they would take the opportunity to 
let her be adopted by a rich family, right? Because like that would better her life. And it did better her life in the long run. But not to say that she didn't have emotional, social, psychological baggage because of what she went through. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something to be said that the bonds don't have to be biological to have these relationships that are deep, caring, lifelong relationships where we like really look after each other. And maybe the commentary is about, I don't know, community and not just like community in one little location, but like community that can actually go with you, you know, when you do go somewhere that is out of your, you know, homeland and out of what you're used to. Yeah. And like family, how family kind of transcends time and space, you know, so you can be on the other side of the globe and, you know, never have, haven't seen people in 60 years and yet you're still family. The bond is still there. Yeah. That, that thing with the, with the siblings at the end, it was just like, wow, the, the memory of, I always knew this was there somewhere and it's a life is always held in our recesses and we don't know when it's going to come up. And, and that was just really, really, really pretty. Um, what do you think about Pari's mom, adopted mom? I mean, she goes to Paris and then she commits suicide. I mean, to be fair, we don't know what happened to her in India. Like, what was that whole thing about? She clearly dealt with physical and emotional trauma of whatever happened there. She was not liked in Afghanistan when she was there. Part of that probably had to do with whatever happened to her in India. And I think that she harbored a lot of leftover baggage from being told, like, you're not woman enough because whatever, you're, you know, you don't conform to our societal norms. So you're a harlot or whatever, you know, <laughs> um, I, I think that that cavorting. was bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're cavorting. You need to go get your daughter. She's cavorting in the streets. <laughs> and I mean, a part of me is like, did, um, did Mr. Wadadi, I don't want to say take pity, but like, kind of like feel like a real, like, it, like relation to like, okay, this, if people knew who I was, that's how they would treat me. So I self-isolate because I would rather self-isolate on my own terms than let people treat me like that. And he took, you know, took her in and was like, well, I can provide her with some sort of security and maybe help her navigate what she, you know, what she's going through and how people have treated her. And maybe that was his intention. Obviously, once he became you know, in the state of like having survived a stroke, but not able to do his normal life activities that kind of changed things. And I think became too overwhelming for her, but I don't, I think his intentions might've been good and to help her. I think so too. I, I think that maybe he was in some way, like you said, saw a little bit of him, himself in what she was experiencing and wanted to protect or offer her like a safe harbor kind of I think that's the only thing I can come up with for a reason as to why they decided to get married. And and I'm pretty sure that she had a hysterectomy um, just based on the way that they described the, the surgery and um, her scar, her incision that they mentioned a few times. And I remember there was a scene when he, she was in the car with Nobby and he was like oh you can you can Allah will bless you or something and and she's like no I'm pretty sure he's not gonna um so it's just her response you know made me think that that was a pretty impossible thing so but why that happened to her I don't know like was she already pregnant and this was you know um kind of abortion type of thing and that they just took everything out or was there some kind of complication or did her dad like do it to her on purpose without her consent like we don't know but either case either way traumatic I'm sure so why did she leave Wadadi why did she just why I mean Grant, okay, I know they didn't have a relationship. They were just there. They were like not even roommates. They just happened to be three people in the same boarding house. You have Nabi Wadadi and her. And, and then she just says, I'm taking Puri and going to Puri. I mean, I got the impression 
when she does that interview with the, like right before her death, she said, I took her out because like I, we left the country because I didn't want her to live there and go through things. And I think like kind of the impression that I got from what was said in that interview, and I'm not giving it justice at all, but I got the impression that at that point she knew that there was a lot of upheaval with the government starting to happen in the country. And maybe before she felt like, well, we can write it out because she felt protected by Mr. Wadati, but she maybe understood that anybody who had any sort of weaknesses um, and especially physically during a time of war is probably not who you want to stake your protection <laughs> um, and safety on. So she had the opportunity to leave and she took it and, and left. And I'm sure he was sad about that. But at the same time, I'm not sure that he would have wanted any different for them. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think there was just something about her emotional state that I don't know that she could bear to be there with him alone in that state either. So I, I don't know. So what do you guys like about the book? What was the strengths of the book? I like the storytelling, kind of how we, we talked about in, in, in the beginning. I feel like the writer is really good at making us feel what the characters are feeling um, and kind of weaving this like story that, you know, goes through all these generations and these different families and how little things touch other little things over here. And so I, I really liked all those little, little connections. It's a hard question. I liked, I think, yeah, I think the strength was in the relationships and really talking about those relationships and not, you know, not just in like the easy times of life, but like in the hard times, like at the end, when you're talking about dementia and you're talking about people who have lots of different health, you know, end of life health issues. I think that was very beautifully talked about. That's the part that sticks with me and probably will stick with me for a long time. I agree with you, Erin. I think the strength is in the relationships, in the commitments that we make to one another in, uh, in our sacrifices that we choose to make for our friendships and relationships and our, the way we interact with each other. And I just thought Carlos Hosseini does a beautiful job with, in just so many different planes, so many different people, and then the emotional baggage of your choices that stay with you for the rest of your life. Again, it's just... Husseini writes so well. I hate him so much. I just, it's like, you know, as an author myself and working on my book, you know, you listen to this book for book club and you're like, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. It's just these sentences are just so beautiful and they just slice right through you. And you're like, how are you doing this? I, I mean, now I hope I hope he worked really hard. I hope it's hard for him. And he had like 10 million drafts and that's how it came. Please don't tell me he got this in the first, you know, like, boom. Oh, here's this perfect line. I mean, I just don't want to, I don't want to know if that happened. Yeah. But yeah, that's my thought on that. Yeah. And I've read Husseini's other books. So, and uh, I will tell you, I know you guys haven't read The Kite Runner, but after I read The Kite Runner, I, this was about 10 years ago, I think. And I could not, could not, if someone said, oh, this book made me cry. I said, I'm not going to read it. They're like, you know how they're like, oh, this book made me cry. Just read it. It's so amazing. If you so much as said, this book made me cry. I refuse to read it because that book, Kite Runner, just pulverized my heart. She took me and I just couldn't, like, I refuse to read a hard book. I refused to read a book that was just so difficult until a friend of mine told me to read A Little Life, except she didn't tell me it made you cry. She just said, oh, it's so good. And then that book just completely mushed me to a pulp. And now I don't even care. I'm like, kite runner, whatever, bring it on. Kill everybody. I don't care. I can handle it now after A Little Life. But it was originally Carlos Hosseini's Kite Runner that held that held me away from reading all of this it just was like I cannot 
breathe. I don't want to experience that feeling. That was the kite runner. Uh, interesting enough, the second book uh, with what was that? The with the two women. I can't remember it right now. The title. Um, a thousand splendid sons. Thank you. I'm like, why? I'm blanking out. A thousand splendid sons. I ne- I didn't read it for the longest time for the same reason because everyone said, "Oh my gosh, I used up a whole box of Kleenex. I couldn't. I was crying and I was crying. I was crying, and I was like, I couldn't handle the kite runner. I'm not going to handle this book. And people are like, no, read it. I'm like, no, I refuse to read it. But it ended up that after a little life, I said, oh, I can handle a thousand splendid sons, and I could. It was some of the scenes are really, yeah, just I still remember this one scene. I just, yeah, but, but I can handle it now. But that's, but back to our book, it's the same author though. I think his power is in getting inside the human psyche, deep into our souls, into our emotions and expressing it. And I will say as a male Afghani author, he's his perspectives, his pers- is that the right word? Of women, his perspective of women, it's pretty open-minded. I, I mean, I don't like men writing about women. I just don't. A lot of times I feel, especially like Desi men, and Afghani is kind of like Desi, and I, I feel like you may have a bias that will come out where women shouldn't be whatever, but I like reading Hosseini's work because he wants to liberate women. At least that's what I get, especially Thousand Splendid Sons. It's like his need to liberate women and not have women as the victim or the side characters usually. That, that, that's my thought. But again, back to this book, I think his power is relationships, emotions, and writing. That's the power of the book. And Husseini himself, his ability as an author, is what I would say. He did a really great job, I thought, of um, giving depth to Parwana because, you know, she's introduced at the beginning through Abdullah's, you know, his perspective when he's telling his story and um, Nabi when he's telling his story. And so you kind of get this like perception of, well, th- what how they perceive Parwana, which probably is more traditionally acceptable views of her being a mom and, you know, what she's gone through. But then when you get to hear her story and it's so powerful, I thought it was so powerful because she was not the woman that I pictured based on, you know, what we knew about her from her brother and from her stepson. So to really get her words and what she went through with her sister and what she did to her sister and feeling the guilt of that and then having to deal with the fallout and ramifications of that. I mean, it was just, she was a whole new person in my eyes. And I don't, I mean, I think I saw her as like this little meek person in the beginning. Then when I got to hear her story, then I felt like there's so much more to her. And no, she's not like this like strong like liberating force or whatever but she's a a more full character with better value to you know from my my mind but yeah speaking about like consequences of your actions and emotional baggage and how that kind of echoes through this whole story I thought that was another good representation of of that Um, and then kind of on the same Dane, what did you guys think of the two brothers who were traveling to, to Afghanistan and then the girl with the brain injury and um, he was going to come back and help her and then he just kind of never got around to it. I thought that one was interesting too. That quote, what was that quote she writes in the book at the end? That Don't was, worry, you're not in it. <laughs> right, right, right. It was that scene. Yeah. I mean, okay, it's just, I can picture it with her having written a book and you've got this line and, and it's the way it was described and everything and the way she just, Oh my gosh. But that's, here's the thing. Cause never wrote about, Oh, I felt this and I felt that. And I felt all of this. And th- he never re- wrote about all of that. All he described was here's this woman that I haven't seen for so long. And this was a promise I made to her and I couldn't keep. And here I am. I don't know if she recognizes me. I'm in the line. She doesn't recognize me. She signs my book 
and I move on and I see this note and that that's it. And it gives you so much information. Oh my gosh. So powerful. So powerful. I, yeah. And I wanted to know like what happened in the end. And, you know, Marcus was the pl- a plastic surgeon. So I assume he's the one who, you know, did the work for her, but they never come out and say that either. And that that's kind of like how he's tied into that part of the story. But yeah, I wanted to know like what happened with her. Obviously though, she had dealt with the forgiveness. And I think that like, that was the interesting part of that part of the story. We never get to wrap the whole thing up, but you're, you think you're thinking, or at least what I was thinking well, she's dealt with the forgiveness for him, which I think he was looking for forgiveness. He thought he was looking for forgiveness. That was her way of, I think, telling him that, you know, he's forgiven in a sense, or she's gotten past it. She's, I think you have to forgive to work past it to the point that she had and not have a reaction to him being there in front of you. But I don't think he ever forgave himself. And, you know, he, the whole story that you hear with him in it, he's like picking apart his cousin brother about how, you know, he kind of flaunts his wealth and comes in and like does these good things only so that he can kind of like get further in life. But yet he didn't have enough guts to do what he knew was right and what he was compelled to to do. He didn't have enough guts to stand up to his boss, to stand up to his wife, to, you know, any of this to make a difference in this child's life. Those are the decisions, you know, we, you try, you try once and you're shot down and you're like, how hard are you going to fight for someone else? You make a promise and he asked and they said, no, we can't do the surgery. And it was done. Right. It was like, but he, he didn't, he was like, okay, we can't do this. And that's it. How hard could he have fought to have made this happen? How hard is someone willing to do that for someone else based on a promise? I mean, these are the topics that happen in real life. I'm sure, I'm sure at some point we make a promise to someone and then we realize we cannot keep it for whatever reason. And then that guilt of, oh my gosh, I promised Erin I would give her this thing, but I just cannot give it to you, Erin. And it's that guilt and every time it's like, hey, it's fine. We're talking. We're friends. But I promised you this. And I know I haven't given it to you. And I know you know that I haven't given it to you. You know, and it's this. And the world just goes on. And that's the other thing about this book. It's the baggage. How much baggage is every single character carrying in this book? Is there, very real. Yeah, but is I there feel a like char- it's very representative. Yeah, is there a character without baggage in this book? <laughs> Nobody doesn't have any baggage. Everybody's got baggage. Right, right. And that's, I think the other power of this book is that it's balanced in that he's not going like, oh, this guy is an angel. I'm going to make him fight for her and he's going to do it and he's going to be the savior. No, he tries. It didn't work out. Okay, fine. I'll just forget about it and I'll just walk away and I'll carry this baggage for the rest of my life. Oh, that's like harder to deal with than getting a savior in a knight in shining armor. And every single character has that. That's why I hate him so much. But anyway, Husseini, I mean, the author, but anyway, what are your favorite scenes in this book? I know one of mine. This, so it's towards the end um, when Pari and Abdullah um, are together and Pari, the niece, says, oh, my dad used to sing this song. And um, anyway, then they like connect over that song. That was like just such a beautiful, simple moment. And if you've ever lived with anybody with dementia in your life, you know how like small things like that, and especially like music, which kind of works in a different route of the brain than the rest of the stuff in the brain, um, that it really can, you know, speak to people. And I, I just like it was just so beautiful you know and it brought it all kind of full circle and to see that even though they didn't have the closure that they wanted to have 
maybe individually, you know, their whole lives. Well, and Pari's life when she found out that she maybe was adopted, that still was a form of closure and maybe more beautiful and maybe with less baggage and expectation than if you didn't have that element of, you know, dementia present. I I really liked the the Marco storyline. And so one of my favorite scenes was when he takes the picture with the pinhole camera on the beach. Um, and then he has to take the, the photo with him everywhere he goes. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm I'm still like, it's not a favorite scene per se, but I like the concept of Nabi being there at the very end till Mr. Wadadi dies, like till that very end. That concept of him always taking care of him. It's just, it reverberates through me. I really like that. And I really remember the the very first scene, the Dave, the story of the Dave going here, let me show you this. And now you have an option. I was just going to say that that scene where with Mr. Wadadi and Nabib and when he finds him passed away, I feel like that's like a topic, like a theme, like a conversation and a scene that our generation needs to hear and and really become familiar with because we have like cleansed ourselves so much of death. You know, I don't think that many people in my generation in this society really know what it means to help somebody approach their end of life. Like they just, they... Death is something that happens in the nursing home. It happens in the hospital. It happens away from them. And you, and you may not even be there. Most of the time, people choose not to be there. Um, honestly, I feel like more people probably choose to be with their pets than with their some of their family members when it comes to death and dying. So for that topic to be brought up in this book is, I think, very important. And I wish it was something that was in more of the literature, modern literature that we have. It really needs to be something because I do think it's fear, you know, that keeps people from being in that moment. They don't know what to expect. Can I make a slightly unrelated aside related to the topic at hand, but not the book? Um, so I'm reading medical school applications right now. And one of the applications that I just reviewed was a girl who was part of a program called No One Dies Alone. And so during COVID, she was a volunteer and they let her in the hospital and she would sit with people as they passed away. And I was like, yes, you need to come to medical school. <laughs> can I can I rubber stamp this one right now? This is one we need. Um, so I was very supportive of her application. But no, I, I totally agree with you. It is a topic that we don't talk a lot about and people really don't have a lot of exposure to and aren't comfortable with. So hopefully that will get better with time. I took a class called Death and Dying when I was an undergrad. And my I remember people being like, you're so weird. Are you going to go be a mortician? Or like, why would you take that class? But I was like, why wouldn't I? Like, I'm going to be dealing with people who that's a reality to the, their situation because I knew I wanted to be a genetic counselor or be in the medical field at that point. So yeah, why would I not? But it was a lot of people that were like going in that planned to go into like social work or planned to go into being like a mortician, but there was hardly anybody else that planned to do like any, any other, <laughs> but I feel like it was a class that maybe everybody going through college should have taken because we'll all deal with it. Right. At one point. Yeah, definitely. Like what happens like practically, like who, who has custody at what times, who do you call? When do you call? Like, yeah, it's, it definitely needs to be known. Yeah, I still don't, I don't think about it. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. I got to prepare for this at some point, you know, my life. Um, Aisha, welcome. You haven't been to book club in a while. So we're talking about the book. What are your comments about the book? I mean, I was going to go into favorite character, but just tell us what your general comments are about the book and what you think the book is about and what you liked about it or didn't like about it. Okay, so firstly, I like the concept and I like uh, I like the journey and uh, uh, I like how the book started with both uh, Abdullah and Pari and then ended it with Abdullah and Pari. But there was some link that that is not discussed, like uh, they haven't discussed, uh, author didn't discuss uh, Parvana's sister Masuma, I think her name is, where she is after her last meeting with uh, uh, Parwana and uh, 
what happened with uh, abdullah's parents so i didn't like uh, why author didn't discuss this thing but overall it was a good read for me i haven't read khalid husaini's i have read khalid husaini's first book that is uh, the kite runner and this is my second read so i like how the characters uh, linked with the, how they were discussed uh, with and how it got ended so it was a good read for me i like it it was a five star rating for me it would be five star if it uh, discussed the other thing that i had mentioned so it is a good read for me so who's our favorite character do we have favorite characters or anybody uh yeah yeah please oh i was going to say i already talked a little bit about it but i really liked marcos because i feel like one of the themes out of out of this book was that people have these emotional connections um with others um and sometimes with their their purpose and i feel like he was one of the few that saw that and it was just like all right i'm going with it i'm i'm going to take you know i i feel that this is my purpose to be here in this place and i'm just going to you know let my busy plastic surgery office in athens where i'm you know fixing people's wrinkles i'm going to let that go and i'm going to take care of these kids in here um who need me to fix their face um so and he was totally fine with it and he it seemed like he was very fulfilled by that choice like that was his purpose that was his connection to to everyone in life and i feel like others in in the book were kind of wrestling <laughs> with with their their connections and their emotions and their purpose anyone else favorite character i don't have a favorite character i mean they're all equal for me i i just cannot pick again like we talked about husseini has given every character that baggage and the weight so i cannot pick a character because everyone has something and and they're all beautiful for it so i i feel like i'm cheating if i picked one person i mean normally in a book i'd be like oh yeah no this person but this book just makes it hard for me to pick one person i i just i don't have an answer i really don't so i would say abdul's father is my favorite because he reminds me of my dad in the sense that my dad would always read us stories and tell us stories and i think even like not necessarily just at bedtime but like sometimes whenever we would have a hard thing that we were dealing with like a trouble and we were trying to make sense of it he would oftentimes you know almost tell like fable but maybe it wasn't a fable maybe it was like a story of somebody he knew who had gone through something and he would never necessarily like tell you what to do but like he would let you kind of work it out for yourself from storytelling so he, that yeah abdullah's father reminded me a lot of my own dad and um i really liked him even though he's not in the book for very long <laughs> i think i like abdullah's character but uh, it was not in detail uh, it was very briefly described so if they talked about abdullah so it would be my favorite character but i like abdullah's character he's very nice cool calm and caring for his sister so i like her. i like this character okay anything else we need to discuss about this book before we move on to final thoughts and covers and stuff anything are we missing something no okay so um final thoughts book cover rating and um rating of the book i'm going to go with final thoughts excellent storytelling which was my beginning thoughts actually i'm doing a perfect sandwich see excellent storytelling final thoughts excellent storytelling see it's it's all very well planned and orchestrated here um cover i gave it a 4 i i didn't want to give it a 5 i gave it a 4 wasn't bad it wasn't like blew my mind away i liked it 4 and the title and the mountains echoed i don't understand it but it's um it's mysterious enough and it's charming enough that i want to read it you know there's there's enough attraction between me and the title and the cover that i want to go there and the final rating of the book I think I gave it a 4 and um I don't know I might give it more than like a 4 and a half maybe I think the biggest reason that I didn't go to a solid 5 is because the way it was written I I was confused at different times I was like okay where are you okay this character and then I moved to another character the jumping around didn't work out for me too well like it was kind of like I was trying to piece this puzzle together 
And um, it was just a personal choice for me. And I, uh, I don't know, the, it just felt like there could have been a little bit more about certain people. So that's why I'm kind of sticking to a four, four and a half-ish. I will also give it a four and a half. Um, I thought it was very good. I might read it again. I would recommend it to other people. I think it just didn't quite for me have that, you know, emotional drama and response that some of the other fives that that I've given have had. And I don't give very many of them. And I thought the I thought the cover was okay. I, I think both the cover and the title reflects the story of the djinn that was, or whatever, however you say it, at the beginning. So I think he was referring to the, I don't know, voice of the djinn in the mountains um, as he was like going to find the child. And so I think it was those disruptions, I guess, of the family that was experienced at the beginning that was echoing um, through the story. Maybe that's how I interpreted it, at least. Um, and I thought that the cover was okay. You know, it's little kids running after each other. And so it kind of makes it look like, you know, kids running off into the mountains and getting lost in some way. But I don't know. I, I think I'd give the, I'd stick with a four and a half for, for both of those. I can go next. So overall, I, I loved the book. I'm glad I read it. I did start out with a hard copy and then switched over to audio because I needed to just get it done in time. <laughs> and, and I'm better with audio sometimes um, for that reason. So I think I would give it somewhere between a four, four and a half and a, to a five because I, I would probably read it again. And I agree, I would recommend it to people. And I thought it was overall just very beautiful. I do agree that sometimes that there were times switching back and forth that I lost track of where we were in the timeline or where we were geographically. So that didn't seem as smooth as what I would have liked it to. And oh, as far as the cover and the title, I don't know. I think I give them three and a half. I, I get what Dr. Healy's saying. And actually, after you say that, like maybe I should go up to a four on the title, but the the cover's fine for me. I think it's a little bit too much like words because I think they're trying to promote, you know, his what he had in his other books. But yeah, uh, I would like to see it less busy. I should do want to talk about the title and the cover. I know you you gave the book a rating of a five. Yes. And uh, I like I like the title uh, and I think Jennifer interpreted it well. I, I firstly didn't understand it, what this means, the mountain code. And I liked it. I liked the book and I would read it for. And I think I would agree with you, Shanaz, when there is um, a lot of characters who sometimes lose track and then switch and back. So at one point, I didn't know what uh, where, we, where I am. So, yeah, when there is a lot of characters and there is a lot of uh, uh, life stories, so we sometimes don't we sometimes get confused about what are we talking, reading about. So, yeah, for that, I would give four. And uh, I like the title. And yeah. Okay. Um, before I close book club, I will say about this book, about the title and the cover. All I'll say is once you call it Hosseini, you could do whatever the heck you want. You could have the worst cover in the world and you can have the worst title in the world. You just put Carlos Hosseini on it and that's all you need. So I really think we need to do a book club of looking at the author like, okay, well, like Backman, right? I mean, well, although Backman books are, they have a certain style to their covers, but it doesn't matter. We talked about this with Casual Vacancy. We talked about this. It's J.K. Rowling. It doesn't matter. It could be a blank cover, right? And that's what it is. And I think there is that element. I know this is only his third book, but his first two books were phenomenal. And this one's like up there. So yeah, you just have to put Carlos Husseini on it. So Aaron, I mean, he could get a two rating cover and a two rating title. And I think it would still be Carlos Hosseini. He's got his name. And so that's my final comment. Unless you guys have any other comments, anybody? Okay. I am officially closing book club. Thank you all for coming. I'm glad we picked this book. I think the book lends itself nicely for a book club. Our next book for book club is The Dancing Girls of Lahore 
by Luis Brown. Our session for that one is mid-December, so the podcast will be out shortly before Christmas. And our book for January that we have picked is a personal favorite of mine. Came up in a conversation after we got done with book club, and anyway, the book for January is A Man Called Uva by none other than Frederick Pakman. I feel like this whole year... I've been making a million excuses and or promises on this podcast. It's like, oh, I'll do this episode or that. And then, oh, I got busy. Well, without getting too personal, there is something in my life that I'm trying to resolve. So until I can sort that out, I'm going to do my best with keeping consistent on this podcast. But we will most likely have ebbs and flows. With all that... I also got sick for a week and then I recovered and went on vacation and with everything I just feel out of it. It's weird but I'm getting back. Thank you all for hanging in there with me and with the podcast. You guys mean the world to me. So thank you again. Before I go, please take a look at the show notes if you want to support this podcast, go to buymeacoffee.com slash LLTBpodcast. And the special code to join Libro FM is LLTBpodcast. I'm adding all the links in the show notes, including the links to contact me. So do take a look at that. And about Libro FM, in the past, I haven't gotten anything for when you guys signed up using my code, but in the future... I may be getting a cut. I just wanted to mention that as a disclosure because honestly, I don't even know how it works, but I just got approved for some part of their sponsorship plan or something like that. But that shouldn't sway your decision. You should join Libro FM and use my code and get the two-for-one deal and help your independent bookstores. Okay, that's all I've got. The opening and closing music to this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband, Brad Slavic. I'm Dr. Shanaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books, signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time. <laughs>